Ever wonder what the leaders of your company are thinking? What they truly care about? What terrifies them? Our guest today on the Desuckify Work podcast has a pretty good idea. Amy Barnard Bond has worked with hundreds of C-suite executives, helping them become more self-aware, more inspiring, and more in tune with the values that really matter to them and their organization. There's a lot of tension in the workplace right now, and the best execs are out there trying to figure out a way through. Others are stumbling and fumbling, often quite publicly. Amy and I talk about all of this and more during our conversation. We touch on the return to work mandates and how those choices are often driven by fear at the highest levels. We discuss the seemingly endless rounds of layoffs and what companies can do better, both in terms of process and how the layoffs are communicated. And we speak about how to make yourself more promotable, something that is often vaguely understood at best. Amy has developed a promotability index in a companion guidebook that outlines clear steps to help you advance your career. By the way, we also touched on the importance of career growth, even if getting promoted up the ranks isn't your goal. There is no one right path to a desuckified work experience, after all. This episode is chock full of desuckification, thanks to Amy's brilliance. So let's dive in. Okay, Amy Barnard Bond, welcome to the Desuckify Work Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here and uh, excited to see you with that lovely backdrop there. Uh, very uh, festive and, uh, and and creative and all that good stuff. So it's a good it's a good sign for the rest of the show. Awesome. Yeah. Well, before we dive in too deep to all the good stuff that you do, we want to give everybody a chance to just know who you are, what you do for work, and and how you came to be doing it. Sure. So I am uh, an attorney and recovering corporate executive. (laughs) Currently, I help people get to the C-suite and be successful there Mm. in my coaching work. And then in my law work, I help companies do the right thing. I work Mm as a partner for a compliance and ethics boutique law firm. Mm. I started out as a lawyer and then decided I wasn't happy with litigation because it was just, you were stuck with the facts and you couldn't help change anything for the better. Mm-hmm. You can in, in some areas, but not always. You're kind of stuck with what you've got. Yeah. And I decided I want to get ahead of the facts and I wanted to help make the facts. So I went into HR. People thought <laughs> I was nuts. I had, I thought I left the law forever. Um, but, but, it's funny how, as you know, at, mm-hmm. once you get older, you realize careers aren't linear. They're very cyclical, yes. mm-hmm. um, especially if you're curious and you get bored like I do and, and you mm-hmm. always want to keep learning. Mm-hmm. And so I was in HR for about 11 years. And then I um, went into corporate, found that I really loved business and I felt like I could be in a position to help people better there. Because as you know, we spend so much of our lives at work. Mm-hmm. If I can help create the kind of work environment, either through HR work or compliance and ethics, which I then moved into making mm-hmm. sure companies were doing the right thing, handling investigations, having policies that worked for everybody, mm-hmm. yeah. um, that kind of thing, and succession planning and career development and coaching, building mm-hmm. teams, having the right organizational structure, all that was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that. And then I moved back into compliance and ethics for a large pharma company at a Fortune 5. That was my mm. first C-suite role. That was really exciting. And then I 
burned out a little bit after five years. My kids were young. I've always been a working mom. So I have two daughters. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're now nice. eight, 18 and 22, just off at college now, both of them. Oh, nice. And then um, I went to a CAO job, a chief administrative officer role uh-huh. after teaching law school for a bit. And then was a CHRO and then decided I had kind of done everything I wanted to do in corporate. And I founded my own business. I went back to graduate school for coaching, became uh-huh. a certified coach, did that for about seven years. And I still love doing that. And then a year ago, I joined as a partner at a law firm with a couple of people I'd known for years who are wonderful. And then, so now I get to do the larger systems work as well. Uh-huh. I found that my work is around inspiring change. I think that's uh-huh what people tell me I bring to the table, mostly either from a one-to-one coaching or with teams or with um, systems. And I've also advocated for some, for some laws Mm -hmm. um, and that's been fun too. So Mm. then I write and speak and, and, um, and those are fun things too. So it's a nice variety now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, as you said, it's a, it's the nonlinear journey. Um, But I think that's becoming more common these days, you know, I think, uh, I think young people now are, are beginning their careers thinking that can be how they go, where I think back in the day, we, we kind of thought, okay, there's a path and I'll follow it. And it's only as life shows up, you realize, oh, I want to go now follow that thing or follow that thing. Right. You know? Right. Um, yeah. But I think the theme that kept showing up for me is just that, you know, impact, you know, I, I felt mm-hmm. like you were, you were chasing opportunities to make an impact, whether in a one-on-one situation or large scale systems or something in between that feels like that shows up in, in all of those various places that you've shown up for work over the years. That's what gets me going when I, I've had a few years that have been, and I think we need these every once in a while to find our North star that mm-hmm. have been at the time boring, or I've felt underutilized or mm-hmm. just off but i've learned looking back now now that i have many more years uh, mm-hmm. ahead, of, ahead of me to look back i thought oh those were like the fallow years that were important for the generate for the big thinking because you have mm-hmm. the space if you're a little bored at work and you've done the same thing for three years and you're doing it well mm-hmm. um but you're not enjoying it i think that's the time to then how you have space to reflect as opposed to when you're just busy, 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 busy and moving along. I, you know, run into people who are my, my least favorite phrase, I think, in talking to people is, oh, I'm just busy. Mm. Don't tell me anything. Right. And we've created, especially in America, I think this ethos and kind of pride in yeah. being busy. And that's mm-hmm. not really very interesting. It's like, where are you making an impact? How are you mm-hmm. choosing to spend your attention? Are you being mindful or are you just wake sleeping? Mm. I like that term. I, th- I think, yeah, like you said, I think we we reward the I'm busy so much that it doesn't encourage the the go deeper conversation of like busy doing what? What does that mean? How do you feel about what you're busy about? How do others yeah. feel about it? Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, weak sleeping. I, uh, I, I feel that I've been in that state at times. Um, but even as you describe sort of like on a, on a long you know, timeline of, of job to job and sometimes going hyper fast and, and being kind of quite busy, you can almost shrink that down to how we should approach the shorter time spans as well. Meaning in within days or weeks, are you giving yourself those moments of quiet time or just an ability to, to pause and reflect on what am I doing? Am I, am I actually making the impact I want to? Can I course correct and all that kind of stuff as well as does that, 
show up in your life too? Do you find the ability to make those different kinds of times for yourself? I do now very much. I didn't so much when I was full-time, you know, working, my kids were young, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of pressures in the executive suite, a lot of business changes. But now as an entrepreneur, um, I I do have a a terrible boss. Uh, They're a slave driver. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I have to really set my boundaries with her um, to not be working (laughs) all the time. I did take a, I mean, entrepreneurship, right. Is there, it's great. And you've really got to know how to take care of yourself, whatever that is for you. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, for, for example, for eight years, I said, Oh, finally I'm free. I can like take long trips. I love to travel Mm -hmm. and get out of my head. For me, it's the best way to, creatively rejuvenate and get out of my head. And so I took a six week sabbatical last year to mm. Spain and Morocco and it was fantastic. And I planned for like nine months to be able to take that time off. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, but I'd said I was going to be doing it for eight, for eight years. I'd be like, Oh, I'll do this every two years, but yeah. no, you know, yeah. so I think you do have to have that, uh, that, that boundary to just say, okay, I'm going to do it. And right now I'm planning for 2025. So, Okay. That's cool. Well, I, I think it sounds like you're starting to get the hang of that and how to be a, a, a slightly better boss to yourself, which it's hard. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's not something that's really taught. Um, it no. kind of shows up in conversation as you talk to other folks who are in the same boat and doing, you know, and, and maybe there's certain books that'll lean into it, but broadly you just throw yourself into entrepreneurship and you have to figure it out and you have to figure out how you can balance the, the, you know, I want to grow and, and build the, whatever the business is. I want to be able to put food on the table, you know, some of the basics and, uh, Oh, by the way, I need to take care of myself and I'm probably going to be a lot better at those other things if I do, yeah. but our brain, yeah. our brain tricks us into not believing that story. And so we, we go years without taking the vacation. You know? like, yeah. You're going to miss an opportunity. This is yeah. going to be a big break. You can't turn the speaking engagement down or you can't, Exactly. No, you got to be on TJ's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I apologize if I am uh, contributing to. No, the, you're not. The I just wanted to. <laughs> well, it, it brings up. I mean, whether you're an entrepreneur or or working for somebody or whatever you're doing, um, you know, I think there's a lot of angst about work right now. I mean, I see it on LinkedIn, you know, you see it on, on, you know, in in articles and, and, and talks that people are giving, you know, you've obviously through the work you do, you're seeing a lot of different people in a lot of different work situations. What, what's your take on the state of work right now? It's in a really confusing state Mm -hmm. for people. I can't tell if we are post COVID specifically, Mm -hmm. um, moving into a next phase, it's certainly an active negotiation phase between mm-hmm. executive management slash organizations and mm-hmm. its employees. Um, I can't tell if we're moving to a new way of working mm-hmm. or if we're going to, if companies are, if some companies are going to succeed at going back to the way things were before COVID. Mm. I think we're in that struggle right now. We see it in the news all the time with the return to work mandates. Mm-hmm. Some communicated more kindly than others, some more yes. flexible than others. Yeah. Um, really depending on tone at the top mm-hmm. and how much organizations, how much bargaining power 
employees have in the organization, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that a lot. That's definitely going to hit women more. I think mm-hmm. it is it is a rough negotiation when you think of you know employees shoving everybody off home, mm-hmm. either well equipped or not, with you know their computers and laptops and ergo setups and maybe having no place to be. If you're yeah. in a, a tiny apartment in Hong Kong and you've got you know three kids, you, you don't have a lot of great working space. Versus mm-hmm. if you're out you know in somewhere that's much more reasonable cost of living, yeah. and you have a house and you have an office, it's a very different situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you asked people to make it work for four years. And so they did, and they got used to it. They figured out their childcare if they needed it. They figured mm-hmm. out their work life. They got used to maybe no commute, kind of nice, mm-hmm. both for the environment and just for the wear and tear on the body and soul. Yeah. And now you're asking everybody, oh, that was just temporary for four years. You know, mm-hmm. it's enough time for patterns to get set, right? And so yeah. now you're saying, well, now you need to come back. I mean, that's, that's tough um, yeah. for a lot of people, I'd say, for people who want to be CEO or who want to be in the C-suite, they've always been willing to make the sacrifices to make it work. Mm-hmm. And that's great for the rest of us because most organizations do need leaders that will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for like that director to kind of, you know, VP level, mm-hmm. that's an interesting time right now. And and I again, I think women are more packed and we see this in the news. Women are... Yeah potentially choosing to leave the workforce, which as a, as a feminist and someone who advocates for equality, you mm-hmm. know, is, is concerning yeah. to me because we've made such good strides and um, I get it. You know, it is hard. And then, and then there are many childcare centers that are supposed to be going out of business because the federal mm-hmm. subsidies are, are ending. This is in America specifically. Yeah. Other countries may have, that, you know, have better policies and things around this. But so yeah. those are some of the things I see. It's it's an ongoing um, question. And I've also never seen so much job transition as as I do now. I facilitate um, some executive groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of about 36 very senior executives, like SVP, just, you know, either in the C-suite or just below, mm-hmm. half of them have changed jobs in the last year, either voluntarily or involuntarily. Yeah. Mm. That's a really high number um, in my in my experience. Yeah. Either there have been layoffs um, or they've decided this just, you know, isn't working. So there is opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's the exciting thing is there's so much turnover um, that there's, but then I worry about culture, Mm-hmm. and consistency and i'm a big believer that you really need to stay somewhere three to five years to learn mm-hmm. and and make and make enough of a difference mm-hmm. especially that director plus role yeah. where you have some some direct reports you have some good initiatives so you can lead change mm-hmm. or make a change and then see if it sticks and if something went wrong what went wrong what would you have done differently mm-hmm. that's how i learned and i'm so grateful for it i had these different kind of arcs in mm-hmm. my career um, that I was unable to use. But if I was leaving, you know, every year and a half, every year and a half, I might've gotten something done, but probably not deep. And I wouldn't have known like how it took and if it's sustained later, mm-hmm. I think you have to stay long enough to eat what you cook, you know? And, I like um, and yeah. I don't think that, so whenever I'm talking to people in their twenties or thirties and with my own daughters, I really stress that like, okay, if it's a toxic work environment or you realize this is just not what I want to do, of course, leave. Yeah. I'm not, but if if you're like just I don't know feeling jumpy like take a pause and just mm-hmm. say okay 
what more could I learn by staying? Because mm-hmm. I find the real gems of knowledge come around the third, fourth, fifth year. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot in all of that. I mean, I think starting with that idea of staying longer, I mean, <clears throat> it's interesting. I come from the advertising world where there's mm. a lot of bouncing. It's, it's yeah, kind of t- completely. It. Yeah. And but but I did have a few jobs where I stayed a little longer and, and I get what you're saying. I think I think certain things show up over time based on the relationships and the trust you build. Um, you see patterns either repeat or not. Um, if you do have certain uh, bigger objectives, you know, beyond the projects you're working on, if you're trying right. to, to move a department in a certain direction, yeah, it can take a few cycles sure. to really see if it's happening. Um, so I, I think that's important. I also think this, this whole, the negotiation thing you're talking about between, uh, you know, senior leadership and, and the, the employee population at large, it's, I think on some level, it's, it's unfortunately just sort of necessary. It's sort of like creative destruction kind of happening in real Mm -hmm. time. But I do think some folks are doing it a lot more gracefully, as you said. Um, And I think on TikTok TikTok or not. Exactly. I mean, I think, uh, (laughs) I I think there's certainly some coaching that could be a, a benefit to some folks in terms of how they may or choose to handle this stuff. But I think, what, what I think you're also bringing up is that it's not necessarily one size fits all, depending on where you are in the world, in the culture of your company, and the type of, of workers that you're trying to attract, different needs are going to work. Um, I think you can set that up differently, but I think the one thing that shows up for me that just needs to be baked in in some way is flexibility. That You can define that in a lot of different yeah. ways, but yeah. you bring up the thing with, with, with women and, and particularly mothers. Um, and I think I would go even maybe more broadly just to the idea of inclusion in general. There are so many populations mm-hmm. of people for whom showing up five days a week in the office is just going to be a challenge, especially if there's zero flexibility in terms of when I can come in and come out and all that. And um, that's an area where I think companies just could pay a little more attention to both the, it's the right thing to do, you know, and you spend a lot of time working with companies on the compliance side and all that going to do the right thing, but also like strategic business thinking. If you really want, the best and brightest showing up in your organization, how can you create an environment where somebody who might not be able to show up for you precisely from, from nine to five mm-hmm. every day, the way, you know, some percentage can, if you, if you invite people in through different paths, how much more brain power you're getting, how much, you know, more diversity of, of thought, of background, of, of opinion you might be getting. And I think there's some short sightedness and just going, I just want it to be comfortable like it was back in 2019 um, versus let's take the best of what worked in the past and now let's layer in the best of what we've learned. I mean, do you see anybody kind of coming to terms with that? And if so, uh, you know, do you feel like uh, some folks are doing a good job of blending those two things? I think that what I see for from we've also ignored a large percentage of the population that has no choice about showing up work. So just to briefly yes, acknowledge that it Understood. is a privileged, uh, we're talking about a privileged uh, group of people here. Anyone Absolutely. who's in a manufacturing distribution, mm-hmm. retail, 
um, hospitality, they're there every day. You can't make someone's bed or um, Mm -hmm. wash dishes or deliver food to a table, you know, right. Or be in a distribution center. Like I had pick pack and ship people when I was in McKesson, we had distribution centers to get everyone their medicines every day. Mm -hmm. And the night shift was nine to 3am. So Mm -hmm. those people barely see their kids, they get home in time to maybe throw a lunch together and then try to sleep all day before their shift. Mm. So, so we're talking about the knowledge workers. Yeah. um, Who have technology access, right? Mm -hmm. So for those, I would say, the three day a week seems to be the target. The challenge is what what CEOs are scuffling with is teamwork and that, um, and this is very important for the next generation, that ability in person to mentor. Mm-hmm. The next generation has actually started speaking quite loudly about the the loss of the ability to be mentored. Mm. And that is huge. I can see that with my own daughters. They were struggling to find in-person internships. My daughter just got one last year for the first time. I mean, when you're Mm. 20, you know, and you've grown up on social media, for God's sakes, um, you know, you need think of all the people that helped you. I mean, I know all the people that helped me do this. Don't do that. Oh, you know, can you, if you tweak it this way, that would have gone better. Mm -hmm. That informal mentoring is priceless and it doesn't happen. Mm remotely is what we're finding. So Mm. there is something to being together and breaking down barriers and having those conversations. So, Mm. and we've seen that because global companies have retreats. Like they always had them, you know, let's all get together in person. Let's break bread. Let's have a glass Mm -hmm. of wine. Let's, let's work through our, our conflicts productively to make Mm -hmm. this business run better and enjoy ourselves hopefully. So I think you need a balance Mm-hmm. There's recent data as well that if you're a remote worker and you have the choice and you choose to stay remote, there's a 30% more chance that you will not get promoted and that you will be one of the first ones laid off, mm. rightly or wrongly. Yeah. I'm, I'm not making a judgment on that. Mm-hmm. I think that's tricky. Yeah. Um, but it shows out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interviewed for the Wall Street Journal about a year ago around the new FaceTime rules at work. Mm-hmm. And my suggestion was find out when your boss is there and other stakeholders try to schedule your time in the office, mm-hmm. which hopefully is flexible and you don't have to be there every day, mm-hmm. but be smart about it. Like be yeah. there when they're there and have some of your one-on-ones in person show you care. Mm-hmm. Because unfortunately as, as animals, we are programmed to feel that that the personal connection and being together is prioritized. Mm. It inspires trust. It there's a perception you're working harder, even if you're not. Yeah. Um, so there are just some biases that are very hard to overcome. And I would say there's some real benefits mm-hmm. to being together. So I, I see that, that struggle. Yeah. Um, hmm. yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting that shows up with that discussion is the, the different definitions of what hybrid means to people. And what I, what I notice mm-hmm. is, you know, for, the top leaders, it, it often means mandated days in the office. And then for a lot of the, the, the on the ground workers, it means flexible ability to show up in the office. And I think that's a negotiation that, you know, could continue a little bit because even as you mentioned, like, be smart, plan your time accordingly, show up when the leaders are in the office, get your face time when you see an opportunity to get it. I think as leaders, there, there's an ability to, 
there's a fear that that you just need to kind of like set it and can control it but mm. there can be value in 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 empowering people sure. and training them on you know this new reality how how can you show up if you're a really good manager or or further up the the chain like talk to your people about these kinds of things like you know okay we've got a flexible hybrid setup we, you know we kind of come in when we want occasionally there's a big meeting where we all need to show up but here's some things i i've i've learned and i want right. to pass this along to you and i think some of that kind of repetition and that kind of getting people to see how to show up in these environments it's still raw right now and we're, we're sort of still baking it i think um yeah i think that's an area where probably you know what some of the work you're doing and maybe the work that i do like there's value in helping people see however you're showing up to work here are things that can help you show up in a way that advocates for yourself and gives you the best chance of 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 having the career you want through that organization uh, i don't know for yeah, i think the best companies are sorry to over talk you um i think the best companies it's a dialogue it's yeah. an ongoing dialogue mm-hmm. it's not fixed it's not yeah. a mandate mm-hmm. hierarchy in the hierarchical authoritative i think isn't very nice frankly yeah. when we forced everyone home and so mm-hmm. i think you know in the largest companies some do studies and say, mm-hmm. okay, what are core hours that generally mm-hmm. work? And you might say, I'm making this up, but 10 to 2. Yeah. And then some people could come in at 8 or 6 if they have a horrible commute home or they yeah. want to be home to pick up their kids from school and see a soccer game. And I don't mean to leave dads out of this. There's certainly, yeah. you know, many working single dads too and single moms. So, or mm-hmm. some, for some people, it might be I come in late and I stay late. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you could potentially agree on you know some core hours depending on your business and your job. Some jobs mm-hmm. lend themselves to this more, and so uh, it takes time. This is the the tricky thing, right? It yeah. takes like anything. I think eighty percent is in the planning and in the thoughtfulness, mm-hmm. and there's just twenty percent execution. But I love your idea of sharing wisdom with people mm-hmm. around why. We think this is important. We're not mm-hmm. just trying to control you. I think yeah. that is not welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that causes a lot of resentment and disengagement. Yeah. And if you can, engaging people in the process and the discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think because people are coming through, like, as you mentioned, this sort of challenging period of post-COVID and we're figuring stuff out, there's just a lot of stress from everyone, from CEOs on down. And and the quick thing is to just take control and, yeah. and therefore be a little more controlling. And the hope is that through through time and hopefully quicker than 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 not, people can start to getting back to like embracing the best qualities of being a great leader. And, and that includes having these kinds of conversations, passing some of this wisdom along, learning and then, you know, con- talking about what we see as the best practices and so on and so forth. Um, I think it's I think it's there. I see it in pockets. Um, like like you said, I think it just takes time sometimes. And that's that's the challenge. Um, one thing that that's showing up for me is, is you, you know, because I know you work a lot with CEOs and um, I think for a lot of folks who are who are sitting somewhere below that, whether it's right below or maybe, you know, several layers mm-hmm. below, you can feel a little blind to like, what is the, the, the CEO thinking right now? I mean, mm-hmm. what are you? What are you hearing? What what are they feeling and thinking? What are they most stressed about right now? 
They're most stressed about running a profitable business, mm-hmm. which is just baseline as a CEO. They are responsible for everything, mm-hmm. everything, reporting to the board, making shareholders happy if they're publicly traded, particularly, you know, activist investors mm-hmm. um, can be challenged, really challenging. They can literally own a part of the CEO's brain at times mm-hmm. if you've got a really tricky situation happening. Mm-hmm. And there are many ways that can happen. They are if they've been in an industry that scaled up during COVID, such as let's say FedEx or any delivery service, yeah, um, you know, they may need to be right sizing, and we're seeing that in technology, of course, right now, yeah. and that's painful. Um, the CEOs that I'm working with are under immense pressure and stress mm-hmm. about the decisions they need to make and communicate and losing people that they, they know are critical. And, but in order to serve their primary mandate, which is to make the company sustainable for the whole, Mm -hmm. those are, those are the stressors. Mm. And and then the return to work is, is a smaller concern, but part of that. Mm. So, you know, as I hear that, I think, what, what is your, I don't know whether it would be advice or just your, your, your take, or what do you see as the best examples of how CEOs or generally sort of top level leaders can communicate all of that stuff in a way that, that people will hear and understand, maybe not like, but at least I think a lot of people are feeling like, there's just this sort of like cold calculated thing happening mm-hmm. and I'm being just dismissed if I'm being let go or my friend is let go. What do you see as the best way through that for, for top leadership to, to help people understand what's going on and also perhaps help keep the, the company uh, culture, you know, you know, sustainable in a way that doesn't get, you know, broken down by some of this stuff. Do you mean specifically when there's a decision that a layoff is required? In particular, yeah, anything tough, but I think layoffs are a great example. Yeah. Yeah, those are the toughest, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We've certainly seen some bad examples. Um, You know, I love that Cloudflare TikTok. It was mortifying on so many levels. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and for those of you, for the listeners who don't know, it was... Um, a company that was quite popular um, <clears throat> and decided to do uh, what I would say is a layoff, but they didn't call it that. They were consecutively laying off multiple people for performance problems. And that's what really got people. They were not honest mm-hmm. and transparent. Yeah. And as um, I was at a wonderful session last night with this former CEO of, of um, United Airlines, Oscar Minos, and he said that Trust travels at the speed of transparency. Mm. And I loved that quote. And I thought about it with the TikTok. And exactly, it didn't. Mm -hmm. And so this young woman was set up for a 15-minute appointment on Zoom with two people she didn't know. Mm. Somebody who said they were from HR, I think, and and someone else. She'd never met them. And she recorded herself being terminated, but you could hear the conversation on Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. Because she'd been warned, you know, people have been like, uh, we've all had these 15 minute phone calls, you're going to get laid off by some people we don't even know. Mm -hmm. And they tried to do it for performance. And she was prepared. And Mm -hmm. she said, I've gotten, you know, uh, she had data, she was in sales, as I recall. And 
the script wasn't even good. Like, I mean, there was just, as an HR person, it's so cringy. It's the yeah. worst I've ever seen. Um, impersonal, rude, um, insulting. Um, you know, you don't tell someone that you're firing them for performance when you're yeah. not. Yeah. Just call it a layoff. Like, right. so that's the worst. But to, to your point on how do you do it well, I think you psychologically prepare people as as best as possible if you've right. been sharing as much as you can. And sometimes you can't, like you don't know whether you're going to get a big client or lose a big client. Right. Mm -hmm. And that may be understandably with the market, especially, you know, you yeah. have a duty of care mm -hmm. as an executive in an organization and there are signals in it. Some excellent companies I've worked at, our CEOs have done a, a great job at um, laying the groundwork for understanding, okay, we're in like a, a down cycle. Like you should know, I think communicate, CEO should communicate, we're in a growth cycle. Are we flat? Are we having some trouble? Mm -hmm. And you can do that, you know, hopefully a few months in advance. And then when the quarter comes in, then you can potentially say, you know, remember we talked about how we weren't sure how we're doing. Mm -hmm. The numbers are in. This is a really difficult time. And in order to keep the company on a, in a position where it has the ability to grow again, we are going to need to cut. And I would tell everyone that. Mm -hmm. And then I would say, you know, it does, it does create stress and that's hard, but if, but if you don't tell everyone, you're not preparing them ahead. And then suddenly, you know, you set up these phone calls and they're out of nowhere. That's not yeah. nice either. So I mm -hmm. think you have to psychologically prepare your audience that I wish I had better news. Yeah. You know, so you can take a beat, absorb it, like we were talking earlier, mm -hmm. and then have someone that you know meet with you and explain why you. Mm -hmm. Is a function going away? Is a business line being sold? Mm -hmm. Do you hope to bring it back? Mm -hmm. I have a, a CEO right now who's having to make these changes. He was just told on a Saturday phone call they have to find $40 billion. Wow. So we're going through scenario planning, like four different scenarios. Mm -hmm. And he's working with the CEO and he's, he's dreading it. He's like, is there anything, you know, we can do differently. There are creative things companies have done. Um, Hubert Jolie, who was the CEO of Best Buy has one of the best examples of this. Mm. When they were facing a potential layoff, when they were not doing well, he looked at the numbers and he knew the business so well that he, he knew the, the um, breakage on huge TVs, you know, these massive, like 90 inch TVs, right? Mm -hmm. You move those things, some of them break. Yeah. And he said, how about we don't move TVs anymore and we don't lay anyone off? Mm. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, there's my sound, you know? And so um, they didn't have to lay anyone off. So yeah. be creative, like look mm. for it, right? Cut travel, of course, mm -hmm. duh, yeah. cut bonuses, mm -hmm. freeze the executive salaries. I mean, yes. That's just a gimme to me. Mm -hmm. um, no raises, no promotions. Okay. Yeah. Like think about, you know, would you rather lose your colleagues or nobody gets a raise? Mm -hmm. I'd rather not lose my colleagues. Yeah. So um, can't hmm. do it in all circumstances, but those are things I would think about. And I would also, you know, make sure that people have a good outplacement that they get assistance, mm -hmm. like make budget for that. I just talked to someone who got no severance and mm. wow. they're so upset, you know, and they've worked for the company for seven years. And I was trying wow. to, I did a, you know, a, a, 
a coaching session with them to try to help them with strategy on their job search. And most of it's mindset. You just really got to stay strong and, and just mm-hmm. stick with it like a regular job and not get discouraged because it can really eat away at your morale. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some things I would, I would suggest. And I would treat the exiting employees as customers and as though they're going to be coming back to you and that you would ideally rehire them mm-hmm. when you get back in a growth mode. Yeah. Because and that's not only important for your brand on the street, because how you treat people who are laid off, I think, is is really who you are. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. really where the rubber hits the road in terms of those values you have up on the wall. Mm-hmm. That and who you promote and who you fire yeah. sends the biggest message to people who really know the company. And then the people that you keep, they're going to always be thinking, that could be me. Mm-hmm. How was my friend handled? Yeah. And that impacts their engagement and their morale. And so it just really has to be thought through and 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 treating people kind and respectfully, even when it's a tough message. Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a lot in there that I think could be a, at the very least, a, a really good article for for how to to handle you know whether it's the layoffs which obviously is 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 the big one but even just generally you know how do you deal with the tough stuff um, and I think you know the 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 idea of tapping into your creativity you know your CEO you know you probably got there by being pretty creative over the years and figuring some things out mm-hmm. and recognizing mm-hmm. that that can show up there and, and, and as a way to think about this I think you know like you know, put it all on the table for yourself and see what works. You may still land on, you know, the layoffs or at least, you know, at least some amount of that. But I would imagine as an employee of a company, if if I feel that coming from leadership and I know that leadership is exploring things and maybe part of the, the package of stuff is some tough stuff that is beyond the layoffs, whether the, you know, whether it is the pay freeze at certain levels, you know, I certainly, I know I've done that at times taken, you know, even a pay cut at times, right, like right, knowing right. that that's what's best. Um, yeah. Those kinds of things go a long way. And, and I love that line about treating, treating the people that you would be laying off as customers um, because I think, total mindset shift right there. And, and you mentioned the idea that that impact goes way beyond those people. Oh, they're your working brand. Yeah. yeah. They, how many people are they going to talk to you about what happened? Mm-hmm. 50? Yeah. Who tell other people? Yeah, and if just... it's a, if it's a juicy, awful termination, that's mm-hmm. going to really have legs. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and so you really want to be thoughtful around Mm -hmm. that yeah Yeah. where where in all of this you know one of the things i i focus on you know in the realm of sort of culture and employee engagement that's a thing i i like to think about and um talk to certain companies about in in your experience where does the the culture slash employee engagement discussion fit into the priority of all this other stuff that we've been talking about it's interesting. I have a friend, um, Dan Pontefract, who just wrote a book saying, stop talking about employee engagement. Mm. And his book is called Work-Life Bloom. And his point is that people need to be nurtured and, and have the ability, and I think based on what you said, this has come up for us, mm. 
they need the ability to grow in and have the opportunity both in their work and their life. There's really no difference yeah. at this point for most of us. And his point is that if certain basic needs are met, there will be engagement because they'll be happy in their lives and, mm-hmm. and happy at work. Um, so to answer your question more directly, <clears throat> I think it's there. I think on a scientific level, you know, or, you know, a data level, it shows up in the output and the mm-hmm. work, you know, they look at productivity mm-hmm. on the engagement side. I think it's how happy are people to come to work? Are they dreading it? Mm-hmm. Or do they have an outlet? Do they have a good friend at work? There's a lot of research that shows that if people have one good friend that they like at work, that makes all the difference in the world. That's on a very mm-hmm. you know personal level. Mm-hmm. People leave bosses. They don't leave companies, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So managers articulating specifically how employees are valued, mm-hmm. giving helpful feedback um, mm-hmm. is is important. Yeah. Um, and a lot of managers, it's, it's a skill, um, knowing how to give feedback. I'm getting ready to do a a session next week on that, um, for some leaders. And, um, it does, it does take practice, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's one of the biggest callings of a manager Mm -hmm. in order to be able to grow people. It's such a privilege and a responsibility to lead people. And so knowing how, to reach them and how to give them valuable feedback if they're open to it. Hopefully they're mm-hmm. open to it and want to grow and get better. Mm-hmm. That's really a huge opportunity for engagement. Mm-hmm. So if I were a CEO, I would be making sure that people had career pathing discussions, mm-hmm. that that we had feed forward, which is what my, my mentor, Marshall Goldsmith, mm-hmm. advocates, which is not focusing on the past, just yeah. saying, using data and saying, how can, how can I support you in improving this? This is what I'm noticing. These mm-hmm. are some concrete examples. You could be more effective in this area. Yeah. And, you know, we value you. Mm-hmm. And so I want to help you grow in this area. So, mm-hmm. you know, then give contemporaneous feedback on that. So that's why I wrote my book, The Promotability Index, which is, yeah. again, forward thinking. It's yeah. it's more what can you be? What what else is out there that, that might be holding you back and that you're willing to work on? Mm-hmm. as opposed it's it's developmental as opposed to evaluative mm-hmm. i think um managers are trained more to give evaluative feedback which is the look backwards yeah what's your compensation going to be are we going to give you a raise what's your title mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff you're going to get on that special project yeah. rather than the forward look and as human beings we're so much more motivated by a vision of the future mm-hmm. so if i'm a leader i'm going to want to paint a vision of the future for you hey mm-hmm. if you can work on this and this i'd be able to front face you to the executive team on that presentation i'd like you yeah. to do the presentation i just did a year mm-hmm. from now what do you say mm-hmm. you know or or that kind of thing yeah that's engagement to me in addition to the personal level of hopefully having a, a work buddy yeah, I, I love the, the the sort of two sides of it, right? There is sort of the just social realm of mm-hmm. having, having a work buddy and feeling connected to the people yeah. around you, but then the very tangible sense of feeling supported in the workplace. And feedback is such a great example. And I like the term feed forward because I do think it um, it immediately 
it, it takes that like the feedback just takes me back to school and my report card and all like the right. dread of like even if you know <laughs> you're going to become a dirty well, word unfortunately you yeah. know so you're just like you're you're already shrinking when you hear the word feedback a little bit um mm -hmm. so if you know it's going to be more developmentally focused and it's more about okay i know you have certain aspirations here or within your career more broadly here's what i think could help you move towards those it's just such a different conversation for people yeah. um you know i think about most of the evaluation forms that i've worked with and they're they're really glorified report cards you know they really are um and just not just changing the lingo but changing the systems and the in the in the tools you have to have those conversations i think would go a long way um and i love you know you have your book and you talk about this idea of being promotable um you know I don't think a lot of people really know what it takes to be promotable, right? I think you kind of look at the people who have done it and you sort of maybe try to infer yeah. certain things. Maybe you, you know, but I think if it's not communicated well, people then go to the more nefarious things of it's all politics. It's, it's yes, somebody's it favorite. Can get very, you can get very cynical very quickly. Yeah. So how do you, um, I guess what, what makes somebody promotable? I would say at a healthy company where it's not all nepotism and who you know. And I think that we're getting away from that, mm -hmm. whether it's because organizations are realizing they've got untapped talent, mm -hmm. the push for making sure there's more diversity representation mm -hmm. and frankly, some lawsuits, <laughs> um, yeah. which tend to speed things along a little bit. Yes. So we can't ignore that. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I've been a part of that too. So um you know, I, I broke it. I tried to reverse engineer promotions to make it accessible to everyone. That was really important to me. And I included yeah. in my book, the promotability index, I created a free self-assessment for people. Awesome. Anybody can take it, see how they feel they're doing. It's in, intended to inspire ideas of things you'd be interested in working on. And there's 82 options. Mm. And then I wrote a guidebook to go along with it because I it was COVID and I had time and I had the creative energy and people kept telling me I needed to create a a helpful guide, not just questions pointing out what you need That's to work awesome. on, yeah. which is a good point. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, for 20 bucks, it's a pretty good cool toolkit, um, mm -hmm. whether you're sponsored or not. And the great thing is you can, you know, get your results, you can work on them in the workbook, or if you really want to be powerful, you tell your manager, Hey, yes. I've, I've taken this self eval. I would love to see if my self perceptions of what I'm good at and what I need to work on match yours. Mm. And, and then, then you can have a really deep conversation that's all forward. Yeah. So, I mean, they will be saying whether they think you have good presentation skills or how you know well you may work with others, but mm -hmm. it gives you an objective language. It's mm -hmm. not personal. Yeah. And and I think you know managers have a hard time giving reviews is difficult. Have mm -hmm. you you've given reviews? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, yes. so right, it's hard being on. How great is it when you're a manager and an employee comes to you mm -hmm. voluntarily and says. Will you give me feedback? Mm. Isn't that creating a psychologically safe space Absolutely. for you mm -hmm. to be more open? Don't you give them more info than you would in a review? Maybe yeah. it's that gray area where it's not a problem. You're not going to dock them for it, but you're like, ooh, like they could. Yeah. But you might, you know, give them the feedback. So I, I mm -hmm. love trying to find ways to help make it safe. Mm -hmm. for managers and employees to get the feedback they need. Yeah. And we know actually studies have been done too, that um, people of color and women don't get the tougher feedback they need 
to get ahead, mm. which is a double whammy, right? Because yeah. it's already hard to get ahead potentially because of mm-hmm. inherent bias. And that is a concern. So I'm very yeah. much on a on a mission to help people learn how to get the feedback they need, because I find you get more and you get better feedback if you are the instigator. Mm. If you're like, hey, I'm open, I'm willing to learn, I'm not going to be defensive, I'm not going to argue with you. Mm. And I, you know, people have to learn how to do that. And I've written about that. Yeah. Um, you have to say thank you. <laughs> you. You can ask for clarification. Yeah. If you get defensive, you will never get feedback again mm-hmm. um, because it's not fun. Yeah. And you don't have to give the feedback except at a review. Mm-hmm. So people genuinely have to want it and want to get better and make it safe for you to give it. Those those are the people who are really going to accelerate and move fast. So mm. I, I you know and 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 we do have a natural bias against hearing bad news. Yeah. yeah. Our fear factors go off. Mm-hmm. Danger danger like we can shut down, we we get defensive, we can mm-hmm try to avoid it, run away, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, blame somebody else. There's a lot of um, reactions we have to fear. And so learning as a person to self-manage that mm-hmm. so that you know how you're perceived, because we also have an idealized self. Yeah. And then we have the real person that's out walking around mm-hmm. and our egos are constantly to protect us, um, moving us one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it takes work and a lot of self-awareness and I think humility and yeah. courage, equal parts, humility mm-hmm. and courage to really ask and really want to know. And the older I get, the question I get sometimes, I got it from Morning Brew is, you know, what one piece of advice would you have for young people? And I would say, I wish I had gotten better at giving and receiving feedback at a younger age. Mm-hmm. That's literally my thing to my kids too is like, yeah. you know, get better at it and you will guaranteed become the best person you can be if you can do that. Hmm. I, I really like how you're, you're setting up people to be empowered in this way, right? I think, I think a lot of folks may feel like, I don't know if I can ask my manager for feedback, you know, for feedback. And I don't know if I know how to do it and I might get defensive. And so maybe there's some things I can do to get through that. And I, and I think, you know, even as you said it, I started, you know, thinking a little bit of like, I wish I had that mindset when I was younger. Me because too. I just, Me too. Uh, you know, how much you could just learn so much quicker um, mm-hmm. and you could just course correct in real time instead of waiting for that yearly thing, you know, yeah. and and then the yearly thing doesn't usually go as well anyway, because it does feel like a little more awkward versus just completely me showing up uh, with curiosity and saying, what can I do to, to grow? Here's where I want to go. What can I do to help with that? Here's what I think of myself, you know, how aligned am I? Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, the, the, the other piece of that, that, that I'm curious about is how, as a, as a manager, can you sort of set the table for that to invite people, to let people know I'm very open. I mean, it might be as simple mm-hmm. as what I'm just saying, just letting people mm-hmm. know this, but are there any tips you give to, to managers to sort of let people, let your teams know, um, you know, you please come to me whenever you've got thoughts or you're curious about something and you're wanting to learn how to grow and get feedback, uh, come to me at any time. Is there anything that, that a manager can do to, to make that a really safe environment? 
Yeah, I would say um, leading by example is great. Yeah. One of my favorite ways to teach people to get the feedback they need if they don't have a coach, because as a coach, I'm privileged to do 360s and get mm-hmm. feedback for people. And, yeah. and we get really deep, really powerful feedback and have mm-hmm. specific goals. And so that's wonderful. Not everyone has that, right? Which is partly why I wrote the book mm-hmm. and created the assessment yeah. um, so that everybody has access to that. Mm-hmm. And one thing you can do on your own is whether you're, a, if you're a manager, I recommend doing this with your team, maybe your next one-on-one, do it one-on-one, not in a group that's intimidating, yeah. mm-hmm. kind of weird, but mm-hmm. like one-on-one, you know, on a chill Friday afternoon or yeah. when, you know, after the quarter's over and it's not hustle bustle, mm-hmm. um, just say, Hey, you know, I'm wondering how I'm doing as a manager. If, if, if it were me and I was a manager and I had my one, I'd say, you know, what one thing could I do as a manager to be more effective in my job mm-hmm. and then pause and just wait. And mm-hmm. it is very rare that someone will not come up with one suggestion. Mm-hmm. And of course, if they're giving it up, they're going to pick a softball probably. Yeah. But they might say, well, it'd be really great if we started our team meetings on time. Yeah. Right. It's a little thing, but mm-hmm. it can, it can throw people off all day or if we end it on time mm-hmm. and they say, okay, great. And then, and then they collect them from all their team and, and they figure out what they're willing to work on. Mm. But they need to get, not get defensive either yeah. or they're not going to get feedback again. They need mm-hmm. to just say, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm yeah. going to think about that and I'm going to get back to you. And then the employee is going to wait and see, do they make the change or not? It's mm-hmm. the same if you're an employee. I would ask your boss, your boss's boss, because if you're going to get promoted, usually it's two levels up. Yeah. Usually your manager alone does. This is one thing a lot of people don't understand. Mm-hmm. Your manager alone usually does not have the power to promote you. People get very mad at their boss for not promoting. They don't understand mm-hmm. HR sometimes needs to approve. It's a whole system. So, oh, yeah. you, and that's what my book goes into too, is do you know your system? Mm-hmm. Are you getting the visibility you need over time? And I don't mean there's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. You can get the wrong mm-hmm. kind of attention, right? Mm-hmm. By being me, me, me all the time. But <laughs> but there are smart ways to do it. Helping yeah. out on projects, asking to lead a cross-functional initiative, mm-hmm. um, helping someone do their job better, getting a second sponsor outside your area, right? Because mm-hmm. the higher you go, they, they circle the wagons and it's, do you know who this is? Like, yeah. oh yeah, they helped me out on a project. You know, they did a great job. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, that can be really powerful. I know we're talking about so much right now. Yeah. Um, but I would ask that question. I would have employees ask that question mm-hmm. to their peers. Peers are the most undervalued group of people, mm-hmm. especially when you get to the director level. Yeah. Because we're so used to competing mm-hmm. with them. You know, and I, I wrote an HBR article about this, navigating peer relationships while climbing the ladder. Mm-hmm. It's a it was fascinating to me. And I spent about an, a year like really thinking over that issue and how would I advise people knowing what I know now mm-hmm. about how to manage those relationships? Because the fact is, if you stay at a company long enough or you're in a small industry, your colleagues that you start with in your 20s, 30s, whatever it is, one day, they're either going to be your employees or they're going to be your boss. Yeah. So it's really important to have that business friendship on a professional level and recognize that that things are always changing mm-hmm. and um how do you want to be viewed and how do you want to be seen as a partner mm-hmm. either with them on your team which can be a tough transition when you manage people who were your peers mm-hmm. that's a whole thing yeah or if you're working for them and that's a tough transition as well that you can either help or be a thorn in the side of, about mm. 
Yeah. I think, uh, you may not realize that when you're young, you may not really think that far in advance, you but don't. value you and don't. probably at least being aware of it, if nothing else, just to, to recognize the value of nurturing your peer relationships, um, and, and being, uh, your best self with everybody as much as, as possible because. Well, and did you know, TJ, that in um, my 360 reviews, which mm -hmm. people don't know, it's when um, you interview people up, down, and, and across yeah. um, to get a whole, the 360 refers to a circle mm -hmm. and getting a holistic view of how the person's perceived. Yeah. And as Carla Harris says, perception is the co pilot to reality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what people we may think is wrong or unfair, if people feel that way, we need to know about it so that we can change it. Otherwise we call mm -hmm. that a blind spot. Yeah. Um, you know, and that you're deluding yourself that, that you may mm -hmm. think you're coming across as this, but this is how it's impacting other people. And it may yeah. just be one segment of people. Some mm -hmm. people are great with peers and managing up and terrible with their direct reports. Yeah. I coached one client who was amazing with her direct reports, terrible with her peers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it just depends. Um, but peers are the most critical group. And I mean, not important, although they are important, but I mean, they evaluate other peers, the toughest. Yeah. There, there's been studies and, I, and I've talked to uh, colleagues about this and some PhD friends of mine who work on assessments. And mm -hmm. I think that's because they know us the best. Yeah. They probably see us more for who we are because we don't have power over them mm -hmm. and they don't have power over us. Yeah. And we're potentially competing for that next level if you want it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, smart companies, I think, when they're looking at someone to promote from that potential population of come-uppers, they look at, is this person well-liked and respected, more respected really, but yeah. amongst their peers, can they, mm. would their peers follow them? Can they lead? Would they willingly be mm. like, okay, they're they're a good person. I they're smart. I get it. I think I could work with them. That's mm. that's really critical because as the C-suite moves on, that's the next level for succession mm. planning. Yeah. Um. So I think sometimes people don't think about that either because we're so used to just competing. Mm. Ho hopefully politely and fairly and kindly, yeah. but some people not, right? No, so, I, I've been there. I've been I there. Probably, I know we both probably have been. So. I've probably failed that test on a couple of occasions. Oh, I wasn't talking about you, but. <laughs> no, but I honestly, like, I think it's natural, right? At times we deal better with that than other times, right? Like mm, true. Certain, and, and yeah. in, in the world of advertising that I come from, it can be really competitive. I've and, heard it's pretty brutal. And, and it it can bring out the best in you. But there are times where I look back and I go, mm, I wasn't my best there. Um, and I think what you're bringing up, certainly in that space, but as you mentioned, probably just about anywhere, like really thinking about those relationships, really valuing the feedback that can come from them. Um, even if it is slightly motivated by competitive stuff, people are probably not making things up. They're probably noticing things and just a little more comfortable mm -hmm. bringing them up. Um, I, I think, I do think it's easy to either ignore or, or even discount that feedback because you might be in a competitive environment. But I think if you can find a way to see what's being told to you 
particularly in the aggregate, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's the beauties of the 360. You can get some, some recurring. Yeah. You, you themes starting, you can yeah. ignore them. There's one-off stuff and it's my job to yeah. push that to the side. It's, but when the themes bubble up and the peers and especially peers mm-hmm. with whom you have difficulty getting along. Yeah. If they're well-intended, they give some of the richest, most valuable, mm-hmm. real nuggets of yeah. wisdom that help me help my client. These are done confidentially, so they don't mm-hmm. know who said what. Yeah. But they'd probably be surprised to find, because on a personal level, you might not trust that person. Mm-hmm. But I always say, include people who are detractors. We've yeah. got to know the dark, whatever the dark side perception is, mm-hmm. if there is one. Yeah. Um, we need to work on that too. Mm-hmm. I read something also the other day that um, I'm not going to get this. It was much more beautifully written, but it was um, when you're having when you're having someone appear in front of you that you're not getting along well with, that's that's your teacher showing up and showing you that you've reached your limit of competence. Mm, interesting. And it puts the. I loved it because it reframed. Okay, like yeah. it's not just this person. It's not. I can't just bumper stick or talk this person out of my life like they're mm-hmm. a jerk. Their fault. Yeah. Go away. Screw yeah. off. You know. I need to. I have a part in this dance and mm-hmm. I could learn something about myself. If I, what is it, what it, what is my role? And that's hmm. gets more and more important as you get to the C-suite because yeah. you are going to have to work with people you may not like or get along with. Yeah. And you have to figure it out. You don't have to be best buddies. You don't mm-hmm. have to like them or respect them, but you do have to find a way to work together. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's almost inevitable you're going to have some people you don't get along with. And the idea yeah. that you can learn from that, um, that to me, that's a really good uh, sign of, of an evolving emotional intelligence that, that you're able to, you know, like you said, I don't like the way we're interacting, but I can also absorb the information that's coming mm-hmm. through this, this slightly tense or even more than slightly tense exchange at times. Um, because there, I think, you know, I think ultimately there's information in everything. Um, even when it's not delivered in the way we like it, Absolutely. if, if you yeah. can learn that, um, and I, I think the, the, what you said, that person said, and I know it maybe wasn't an exact quote, but just the idea that it may be some of the most needed information may show up in the form of somebody who's a bit of a detractor or somebody who's a bit of a, a thorn in our side um, and seeing both the information and the role we played in it uh, sets you up for, for being, uh, uh, I think, you know, more more able to take on that next level of, author- of, of responsibility because that is very high EQ. Um, the one thing I, I wanted to touch on with this promotability thing is um, there are some folks who don't really want to climb. And this yeah, shows up a lot absolutely. In, in advertising because you have people, particularly like in the creative world that I come from, yeah. they're really good at mm-hmm. copywriting, art directing, design, whatever it is. And they're not necessarily either interested in or don't feel they'll be all that great at leadership, mm-hmm. but they want to grow. They want to learn. They want to continue doing right. that. Um, right. Do you have any thoughts on how somebody can show up for themselves in that position and still find a, a path to growth? Definitely. It's, it's great. You bring that up because it was a question when I was doing my book tour and still when mm-hmm. I, when I do some master classes for people yeah. and companies, it's, 
it's great and it's perfectly wonderful for people to just want to do what they love and be a, an individual contributor might be the HR term for it, but mm-hmm. you know, a, a specialist in yeah. a field, whether it's drawing or that kind of thing. And the promotability index implies literally a promotion. Yeah. I mean it um, to mean being a, having a growth mindset and, mm-hmm. and always learning and staying employable and of value and engaged mm-hmm. in what you love for yeah. a career. Mm-hmm. So even though it implies literally a promotion, yeah, um, I maybe should have titled it something else, but um, anyone can use it for that as well. Because mm-hmm. as you know, AI, I mean, for marketing, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like if you still want to do what you're doing, hopefully you're experimenting with what this means for you. And yeah. I've experimented with it as well as a coach. And I think mm-hmm. I can see where it's, going to be a helpful partner. It's not going to replace my coaching. I don't think it's ever going to replace original art. And of course, there's tons of debate around that right now with Hollywood and IP and Mm -hmm. who owns your face and everything, right? George Carlin, the special they created with AI, that was fascinating, right? I'm fascinating to see um, how creators are either being protected or challenged by this. Mm -hmm. And so that would be an example of some people don't want to manage people and it's tough. If you don't want to manage people, you should not. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard and it's mm-hmm. a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. So I just want everyone to then be able to realize, okay, well, I can't just stay in my comfort zone. Like mm-hmm. things are always changing. Yeah. The, the, they're always, we, I think because we need to make meaning of life and have some stability Mm-hmm. as kind of a comfort blanket that we carry around yeah. with us every day. We speak from a framework that assumes things are stable, but the reality is, is that life, the planet, everything is actually always in chaos and it's always shifting around us. Mm-hmm. We just decide it's safer to pretend yeah. that it's that it's secure, right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel for any professional, you need to be thinking, again, whether, you know, whatever you're doing, I mm-hmm. think you need to be thinking, okay, what are potential impacts in the future to my role? How do I need to stay nimble? What new skills might I need to pick up on the side? Mm-hmm. Um, what do I need to be kind of looking out for? My goal is so that everyone can be, you know, fully realized and self-authenticating as, mm-hmm. as a person, both in work and in life, because mm-hmm. our work and our happiness, you know, impacts our life. And I think we're all creators in some way at, at heart. Mm. That's what human beings do, right? We, we, yeah. we create. And so how can I keep creating in this world? That's, am I paying attention mm-hmm. or am I, you know, walk sleeping? So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's great advice. And I think this, there, there is this dance or balancing act between the, you know, the, the security story that we need to tell ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the yeah. I'm okay and things aren't totally crazy. Um, you know, like, and I think that, that I think we can't completely strip that away, but then there is the, the, the growth mindset, the, the world is kind of crazy. Um, and is there some ability to get sort of a little more comfortable with the crazy and, you know, get, you know, develop the skills of 
of learning and growth and adaptability so that when you when you do notice you come out of your little cocoon and you look around and you go oh my god it's a little nuts right now that you go (laughs) but i'm equipped for this I've done this already. I've been through this, 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 and this. Exactly. I can go through this again. In fact, you know, it's part of what gets me excited and energized is to, to continue to figure out how to learn and grow through that. And in some weird way, there's safety and security in knowing that. So there's, I think there's a blend here. And this certainly as a, a coach myself, this is kind of at the crux of a lot of things for people is like balancing that sense of like, I'm comfortable. I know what I do. I know who I am and Mm -hmm. I want to grow, but that Mm -hmm. means I have to come outside. (laughs) And what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, one of the best coaches I worked with David, the late David Peterson, who founded the coaching program at Google is it was a Mm. friend and colleague from uh, the Marshall Goldsmith 100 coaches group that I'm involved with. Mm -hmm. He used to say there's, um, there's no comfort in the learning zone Mm. and there's no learning in the comfort zone. Yeah. Truth, yeah. Yeah, you do have to kind of step out mm-hmm. um, of your comfort zone to, to take a risk, to learn something new. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting. And, and also yeah. when we're learning, our, our brain synapses, if they do brain scans, literally light up. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're just doing something we know and it's rote, like, you know how when you drive somewhere and you you get there and you're like, I don't really remember driving here. Yes. You know, that kind of thing. Your yeah. brain center is dark. Yeah. It's actually just dead because... Yeah. It already knows there's no neural new neural pathways that you're mm-hmm. creating. And I think the longer that we live um, and the more we stay active and, you know, keep our brain alive, I just think it's a, a much more interesting way to spend our precious life here. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I believe there's even some studies that are showing that you just need to do that to keep that the brain as mm-hmm. healthy as it can be as you do get older, because um, it really is kind of a use it or lose it organ in some way, unfortunately. So um, another thing to just think about, it's just, it's going to reward us the more we allow ourselves to step into this uh, slightly dis, uh, you know, uncomfortable space at times. Um, you know, I, I want to maybe start winding us down here. We've had a really, this has been wonderful. I know we've gone a little longer than maybe anticipated, but it's been great. Um, and I think you've kind of touched on this a bit, but I want to see if there's anything else showing up for you with this idea of, if you could kind of just wave a magic wand and make the world of work sort of fully desuckified, um, what shows up for you? What, what would, what would that look like? Gosh, it would be greater honesty and transparency around the things that impact people that, that can be shared. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be, respect treating each other well Mm. and leaders that that make sure that 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 people are um you know rewarded for their for respecting other people and Mm -hmm. getting the work done yeah um in their their how that the how matters as much as the what Mm -hmm. yeah i would say because and i appreciate that not all leaders have the you know, the higher you go, the less information you get. And so yeah. they don't always really know what's going on at, at some of the other levels of their organization. But mm-hmm. I would really want to always be be listening mm-hmm. and, and learning and trying to create a culture where people treat each other, treat each other well, yeah. and that, that that's rewarded as, as much as getting the work done. 
Mm. Yeah, I think uh, as as leaders and companies think about what they measure, you know, are there ways to measure that? You know, whether it is through through listening and, and employee surveys or studies, or is there more things you can empower your managers to to pay attention to and and to give a nod for when the how mm-hmm. does uh, show up that way? Um, I think that's. Certainly, as I hear it, I think, well, that would be nice, you know, I think. And I've lived in that. I'm not pretending I haven't. I've lived in that. But I've also lived in not that. And I think yeah. you know how much better it is, not just for oh, your personal amazing, cycle, right? but for the, the healthiness of the organization when the yeah. how does sit at that level, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the questions I also like to ask everybody, and this one's a little sillier, is uh, everybody so far pretty much has made a, a, a sound effect to add to the show. It usually shows up somewhere in the intro. Um, okay. For our know, session or just you keep them, you have like a closet full of them. I do have a closet full of them, so they're, they're <laughs> there. If, if, if I want to bring them back, they are there. But but usually they primarily show up in your own episode. Uh, um, okay. And... Uh, yeah. So, do you have any uh, desuckified sound effect that you're you're willing to share with us? Yeah, um, mine would be not that one. That's for my phone. <laughs> um, that would be when I have a big insight, or you find a solution to something, and it's really exciting, and it would, it would be something like, you know, when when you just feel like your brain is is like ah oh, yes this is it you know i've got it yeah um this is and it's it's that that would be it because that's oh, kind of how i feel yeah, when i'm like oh i have a you know great insight for a client or we figure out a nutty problem or mm-hmm. um, those are exciting moments well i love that sound effect i think um i think in the best coaching scenarios um whether you're the coach or being coached you love when you have those moments where it does just kind of like, yeah. oh, wow, I don't even know exactly where that came from. But somehow our conversation led us to that moment. It's sort of the the aha moment on steroids. Um, yeah, it's great. And and I think I love it. I know certainly when I've been coached, it's yeah, it's it just changes you. Suddenly you're you're walking in a different direction and it's super cool. Um, well, Speaking of coaching and, and, you know, I know you do a lot of speaking and all this stuff. I, I, I'd love for people to have a way of, of finding you um, and, and hopefully getting a chance to work with you. So what's the best way people can find you online? They would just go to barnardbond.com. So it's B-A-R-N-A-R-D-B-A-H-N.com. And I have hundreds of resources in the promotability index assessment that I mentioned. It's free. Mm-hmm. It's on there. And um, so... It's yeah. the best place to reach me. There's information uh, about my coaching and awesome. There. Well, I, I think uh, people will be happy when they get there. I've definitely spent a good amount of time on your site. It's really cool. There's so much like good information just on the surface already. And then there's places where you can dive and go deeper and, and see some of your speaking and all this stuff. And it's, it's really wonderful. Um, do you spend time on LinkedIn as well or? I do. LinkedIn is, so I'm happy for people to reach out and connect on LinkedIn. Just tell me that you, um, listen to TJ's on my show and, um, I would love to connect. So that's my main media source. Um, yeah, I've pretty much written off Twitter. (laughs) <laughs> and um as of a lot I'm of people not i'm not really not on facebook as much anymore either so i really focus on linkedin yeah i yeah. think it's become a, a pretty good home for a lot of us a lot of good discussions happen there yeah it's the most good substantive and 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and professional and, and thoughtful. I like yeah. that. I agree. Well, Amy, this this has been wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I feel like I've had at least a few of those moments oh, uh, as we've talked. Just hearing some of the things, I, I'm I'm excited to kind of dig into some of that stuff more. I hope I hope our listeners and viewers feel the same, and uh, I hope you have a good rest of your week. And uh, look forward to just uh, staying in touch. Thank you. Thanks so much for inviting me. Of course. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye bye. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Desuckify Work podcast. And thanks to Amy for bringing deep insight and a wealth of wisdom to the show. You can follow Amy on LinkedIn, and you should absolutely check out her site at barnardbond.com to learn more about her coaching, speaking, and consulting expertise. Speaking of expertise, I also know a thing or three, and you can learn more about it at thepuddingfactory.net. If you want to know more about the one or three things I know, let's set up a free 30-minute what-the-heck-is-coaching-all-about call. Bye, everyone.